Thank you for joining us for the sermon podcast of Northwest Presbyterian Church in Dublin, Ohio. Our church exists to celebrate the gospel through Christ-centered study, worship, and prayer, to connect in community through fellowship, accountability, shepherding, and outreach, and to love our city through sacrificial giving of time, treasure, and talents so that it might flourish as a place where Jesus is known. For service times and more information about our church, visit npcdublin.org. And now, Pastor Chris Maybe. Life as a Christian can be a lonely thing, can it? It can be a lonely business. Especially, it seems like lately, when we're out and about, working, playing, and interacting with so many people who don't know or trust the Bible. In fact, if you're a Christian, there's a real sense in which you're currently living as an exile, even here in the United States, or sojourners, a sojourner, as the psalmist will say, in a land that's not quite our true home. And yet Psalm 119 tells us that we can find great peace and contentment in life in this troubled world through our relationship with the triune God of the Bible, the God that's expressed and discussed and talked about and taught about in the Bible. And as the psalmist and Pastor Dave have told us over the last two weeks as we studied the first two stanzas of this psalm, coming to the Word of God with humble hearts, willing to be taught by the Spirit of God, blesses us as it leads the covenant people of God to spiritual integrity and transformation, integrity and transformation. And being transformed by the Word of God changes the way we think and what we think about. And it gives us courage to continue to live into the challenges of this life. Well, today in the third stanza of this psalm, what we find is the rubber meeting the road, so to speak, for the psalmist. You see, the spirit-endowed psalmist or writer of the 119th Psalm is not just some, uh, you know, ivory tower academic simply pondering the Word of God in theory, for he's experienced life as an outcast, taking theory to application in his world. What we find as we move forward in the 119th Psalm at the first is the psalmist is a saint, a lover of God and his promised Messiah who is surrounded by enemies in real time and with real challenges. A man who loves the God of the Bible and his word, and one who describes what life is like for us in the trenches in our passage for today. Living as a temporary citizen in a sin-impacted, idol-worshiping, and man-centered world. And so let me ask you all before we dive in to the text itself, how should we as Christians respond when people call us crazy for delighting in the Bible? when you get the look, you ever gotten the look, right? You get the look from your conversation partners when they find out you love Christ and believe the Bible is truth. How do we respond to that? And if you're like so many in our congregation who love God's word, hold it in high regard and use it as, God's, as God intends for us, that is that we understand who God is in his trinity, his three persons in one being is holy, and how we're sinners, all of us, all human beings are sinners, and that God's made a way for us out of the challenges of life through Christ, how do we defend it to doubters helpfully without compromising the Bibles or your integrity? Well, if you've pondered these questions, then I think you'll find that this text has 
a word for you today, or if you've just simply received the look, but didn't necessarily know what it was about, but you've received the look for being a Christian in the past, I think you'll find our critical passage for today is a good word for you. Friends and visitors, the Word of God is our only sure source of comfort and courage in the sin-impacted lives and world that we live in. Psalm 119, 17 to 24, this passage of Gimel encourages the people of God to be resilient during times of trouble in two parts. Firstly, seeking comfort in God's wondrous works, and secondly, finding courage in God's Word. Seeking comfort in His works, finding courage in His Word. So firstly, seeking comfort. Being a Christian can be a lonely business, as I said at times, and increasingly here in the United States, we find ourselves as Christians on the out, or as some might say, on the wrong side of history. And if you're a Christian that believes the Bible is the very Word of God, without error and infallible in its entirety, no doubt you're increasingly becoming part of a minority here in the United States, if not an outcast in our world. You know, in fact, a 2023 publication, a book entitled The Great Deturching, The Great Dechurching, just recently published, tells us that about 40 million American adults have left the church over the last 25 years. 40 million people have left the church. 16% of the population, you know, and at first it was the Christians from Catholic and mainline Protestant traditions, you know, who were leaving, but over time it's even the evangelical traditions now that are leaving the church. Evangelical Christians are typically those that, hide, that hold the Bible in very high regard, even they're leaving the church. Well, the psalmist experienced a time like this, a time in which he felt alone, time in which he felt like an outcast or a sojourner in a land that was not his true home? How did he respond? How did the psalmist respond? Did he bend the truth of God's Word to fit in? Did he rationalize or water down God's wondrous and miraculous works as fiction or tell people the Bible wasn't true but just a good story to appeal to the masses? Look back at the text Psalm 119, verses 17 to 20, deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I'm a sojourner on earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules all the times. What's the psalmist doing here as he seeks to be encouraged by God to live a life of faith during a time of distress. What's he doing? Oh, he's crying out to God in prayer. He's crying out to God in prayer. He petitions the Lord for comfort during times of loneliness, for understanding when so many in his world are confused and disobedient. The psalmist begins his prayer by pouring out his heart to God with a metaphor, so to speak, in the original language. There's a metaphor there, a metaphor of a father or a mother with a child. And the hope is for the child to be weaned from constant supervision into the life of the parent's teaching. Deal bountifully with your servant that I might live and keep your word. As if to say, Father, help me mature. I'm your servant that I may truly live as you intend by keeping your word. And the word servant here, which we also find sort of bookended in verse 23, is not what many of us might think it means 
Uh, that word today, uh, we might think of it differently as something like it's slavery or indebted service. What it means here, it's actually a title, servant is a title of dignity. You know, we can think back to the Bible and Moses and some of the Old Testament prophets who were commissioned by God as servants with titles of dignity, titles of dignity, right? Servant, as it's written here, is a covenant title that infers relationship, trust, and dignity. I'm your servant, God. Help me, wean me, that I may live into the challenging time that I may continue to keep your word. That's important that we see that the psalmist isn't being arrogant here, right, in following as a believer, but humble, even if direct, in his quest to understand and follow. Open my eyes is his request, that I may behold your works as they really are. And it's also important that we understand that the wondrous things referred to here, the wondrous things, are God's acts of mercy and grace in history, in and for the people of God. The wonders are his acts of covenant rescue and provision and protection for his people as they're recorded in history, as Psalm 78 tells us. You see, friends, where do we go for comfort when the world seems to be winning? For the psalmist, comfort's not based on circumstances, the circumstances that he finds himself in life, but it's on the Creator, the God of the Bible, who acted in history and is continuing to act in history. You know, we in 21st century America, of course, have the incarnation of God the Son in Jesus Christ, His ministry, His life, perfect life, sinless life, death on a cross, resurrection from the dead, and ascension to God the Father on our side of history to understand God's wondrous works, right? So as we cry out to God to open our eyes that we may behold His wondrous deeds, of course, we must consider Jesus Christ. For what was promised in the Old Testament to the psalmist has been fulfilled with Jesus in first century Palestine, which we now can look back on being in the future of that event, noting God's wondrous works in history, right? But let me just say here plainly that the Bible, this book, is the Word of God, whether you or I or anyone else believes it is. It is the Word of God. It doesn't become the Word of God when we receive it as such. Why? Why? I, know it's not, I mean, I'm saying so, but it's not because I say so. And for those of you who are new to studying the Bible or those maybe who have, will have received these passages in the past might enjoy receiving them again, I've got a couple of texts here to go to which tell us why. Paul, for example, the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Timothy the third chapter, beginning in the 16th verse, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And the scripture, which is God breathed, includes Paul's writings. According to Peter, who writes in his second letter in chapter 3, starting in 15, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letters when he speaks of them in these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. And this God-breathed scripture also includes the writings of the Old Testament prophets. Second, in Second Peter again, but in the first chapter, starting in 19, and we have a prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp, 
shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, do you see? And if you're skeptical, I'm glad you're here. In fact, you might say, well, isn't that just really convenient for you, Pastor Chris? The Bible tells us it's the Bible. It's self-authenticating. Isn't that convenient for you, Chris? And I'll say, yeah, it is, it is. But both of those statements are true. But let me also say here that the Bible also tells us that in order to believe that the Bible is what it reports itself to be, one has to have their eyes opened. Open my eyes, the psalmist says. Their hearts softened. Their wills humbled to believe. In short, we need to have a personal encounter with the Spirit of Christ to receive mercy and grace to believe that the Bible is the very Word of God. You know, don't believe me because I say it, but believe God because God says it in His Bibles where we read as much God tells us this through Paul in his first letter to the church in Corinth, starting in chapter 2 and verse 10, where he writes, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Who knows? For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit's from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. A natural person doesn't accept the things of God, for they're folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Do you see? Now you might say, now wait a minute, Chris. Why can't we just pick it up and read it and get on with it? Pick it up and read it and get on with it. But you see, friends, we're all sinners. From the conception of the egg, meat, and the sperm, and the zygote forms, and we are sin. We are created in sin. All of us. Right? From the time we're conceived. Dead in our trespasses and unable to comprehend the Bible, our sin and our need for our Savior, Jesus Christ, apart from a supernatural event in interaction with God the Holy Spirit. The natural person, apart from the Spirit of God, thinks they have it all figured out. They don't need the Bible. They don't need Jesus. They don't want him. But God loves us so much, the people, if you're a Christian, that he saves us even when we're dead, spiritually dead. He rolls back the veil from our eyes so that we can see the Bible as truth and Jesus as Savior and Lord and come to him by faith. And you see, friends, this gospel of grace is good for us to ponder every day of our lives, especially on Sunday, but every day of our lives. The reason people don't understand the Bible or believe it's not primarily a matter of intelligence. You know, I mean, some of the smartest people I know, and I've been blessed enough to know a lot of smart people, I guess. Um, some of the smartest people I know, they don't honor the Bible as truth and Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Countless examples we could recall in history. And so I want you to get this. What the psalmist is teaching us here, I want you to get this, is that the Word of God is given but not possessed. It is God's instructions to us, yes, but it's not owned by us apart from the teaching of God Himself in and through the Spirit. Open my eyes, the psalmist says, and the psalmist prays, open my eyes 
Our job is to desire and delight in it, to seek it in good times and bad, even as sojourners in an ever-deproving world, and to do so in constant study and in constant prayer in order to be taught, find comfort and courage in its pages. As pastor theologian Christopher Ashe wrote, who's a, a great guy to read, Pastor Dave turned, this to, turned me on to this and him as an author, so he wrote this in his commentary on Psalm 119. Thank you, Dave, for loaning that. I appreciate that. It was helpful. This is the quote, the meaning resides with the author, God, and he does not plant the meaning of the text so that human beings may extract it. Nor does he let the meaning reside in the self-obsessed, for our eyes are so warped and twisted that the meaning we get will be spun so that it affirms us in our present walk. The Spirit teaches the human reader the truth when it is sought in love and dependence, humble dependence, you see. And this truth applies to the entire Bible, not just the parts we like or agree with. And the Bible is either the Word of God or it is not. We don't get to pick and choose. We don't get to decide which parts to submit to and which parts to reject based on our own sinful sensibilities. Like, I like this. Oh, this text is great. I love it. It makes perfect sense to me, right? I get it. That's my experience. But this one over here, I don't know. That's pushing some buttons for me. I don't think I can accept that as the Word of God. It is the Word of God, whether we receive it as such or not, in its entirety. And that includes the text that we struggle with. And if you think about it, doesn't that make sense that God would be smart enough to write a document, even with human sinful authors, that would be timeless and completely truthful without any error throughout all of history? Makes sense. And the psalmist was humbly told, he was humbly told us in his prayer that he's consumed deep down in the recesses of his soul, right? In this section of the text, right? With following God's word, even as he continues to live in a sojourner in his day and age. But I also want you to notice what the psalmist requests of God in his prayer prior to moving on to the next section. For the psalmist at the beginning of this passage doesn't petition God to be removed from his sojourn but to be encouraged and enabled to live in it. He's not saying, get me up and out of this mess. Deliver me from this sad journey, right? He says, help me to see that I might stay in this sojourning citizenship that's really challenging on my journey and continue to follow you and follow your word. Well, you might ask, what's living as a sojourner like? You know, what does the psalmist mean? Well, the word sojourner here, it's not a word I would typically use. I don't know, maybe some of you do, but it's not a word I would use for a journey or as a citizen, but it actually means a citizen in a strange land, a citizen in a strange land. And living as a citizen in a strange land can be a lonely, if not dangerous business, can it? Right? I mean, I know a lot of people here in our community like to travel, and many people like to travel even overseas to foreign countries where they speak a different language. But typically we do so for a short period of time with a well-thought-out itinerary where all our steps are made in advance. So it takes a little pressure off. It's fun. A lot of people do that. But I want you to just imagine if you had to have a more permanent transfer to a world in which you didn't understand the language 
and the customs and activities and celebrations that the majority of people enjoyed were simply weird for you. They're just weird. How would you feel? Well, now imagine that the people in the foreign land with the different language and different customs and celebrations that you're kind of finding a little bit weird. Imagine they hate you. Imagine they hate you and they hate your God and they hate the Word of God as the Word of God. Imagine that. How would that make you feel? You know, how would you feel? Isolated, alone, vulnerable, if not suspicious. This is the place the psalmist finds himself a citizen, in a strange land, so to speak, amongst people from outside the church and from those within the church who are not walking in the way of God and are angry and harass those that do. Does any of that sound familiar to you? Are you following me? From overt burning man gatherings in the Nevada desert to the more mundane conversations in schools and businesses to the heretical teachings of many churches all over the United States, the Christ-centered, Bible-believing and espousing Christian increasingly finds herself in a foreign land where the people in her life don't speak her language and the customs, activities, and celebrations that so many enjoy run starkly opposed to the Word of God and His law. We are sojourners, if you're a Christian, in a strange land. Sojourners indeed. And friends, know in advance that if that's you and you're a Christian that loves Jesus Christ and treasures the Bible as truth, and I hope it is, Praise God if that's you. I hope it is. You'll be vilified. And some of your friends and fellow students and work associates, maybe even family members, will not be pleased with your thinking or your lifestyle. But the psalmist doesn't despair in this place even as he prays. And he prays and finds great comfort in the Word of God, recalling in humble reliance on Him as wondrous works in history as his source of comfort. God's works in history for the covenant people of God. You know, the psalmist isn't done with God's teaching in the third stanza of the 119th Psalm here. For God's works and word not only provide God's true people comfort, but they instill in them great courage. Great courage as they continue to sojourn on in the foreign land. Look at the second part here. We'll go to uh, verses 21 to 24 and finding courage in God's word. In the closing verses of this wonderful passage, the psalmist has a word of courage for the servant of God, the one who loves the word but feels like she's living as a sojourner or a stranger, a citizen in a strange land. Look back at the text, verses 21 to 24. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I've kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. The insolent are those who are presumptuous, proud, and self-reliant, the psalmist says, are accursed. These are the ones that wander from God's commandments, disavow the Bible as the very word of God. 
And these people are those who are in relationship with the God of the Bible and have left the conversation. They're no longer interested in being taught or leaning on the Word of God for understanding. And it's these folks who scorn and hold in contempt the men and women who love the Word, who believe the Bible is without error in its entirety, and are humble at heart and eager to be taught and open to being rebuked by God by His Word. Do you see? These insolent ones, the text tells us, have wandered away from something they previously possessed. They've wandered away from it. Sadly, so very sadly, the church in broad strokes in so many places in our world is changing its stance on what the Bible is and what it means and does. Why? Why? How can you go to, you know, why, how, why is it now that you can go to a Christian funeral, so-called Christian funeral, and not hear one word about Jesus Christ? Or how is it possible that you could actually go to a worship service in a, quote, Christian church and not hear about yourself as a sinner and Jesus as the only Savior of the world and open up your Bible for weeks? Well, the psalmist tells us because these people are insolent or proud or self-reliant. They're culture-centered people. They don't want to live in a foreign land in the war anymore. They want, to, they want to work their way in, you say, not wanting to live as outcasts or on the wrong side of history. They simply want to celebrate life the way the rest of culture celebrates life. Friends, we live in a foreign land, which is tough, but should we be so drawn to fit in and just get along with everyone that we sacrifice our only true source of blessing and peace? Should we? Well, just in case you're wondering, God and the psalmist say, it was rhetorical, they say, <laughs> God and the psalmist say, no, we shouldn't. And Christian, make no mistake, every man and every woman who seek God and walk by his written word will inevitably be despised and scorned by men and women who do not from both outside the church and, sadly, those also from within. Have you ever been scorned or received the look? All right. All right. We got one taker. Charlene, no? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, Charlene and I are friends, and so I point her out sometimes here. Uh, you know, but anyway, I, I've received the look, and I've been scorned for my beliefs. Let me just give you a couple examples. I have a great lifelong friend. I've known him. We were little kids playing t-ball together. He's one of my dear friends. He's a Christian, but from a different tradition. And he's kind enough to invite me up and sometimes my family with me up to uh, northern Michigan. Um, they have a vacation house up there and he's kind enough to let me go up there. Well, the last time up, we were sitting around the dinner table. Uh, he had invited me and some other fraternity brothers from my college days. And um, he brought up a social issue, which is real ripe in our day and age, and that our culture is currently conflicted about. And he asked my opinion about what I thought about it. And I responded, you know, in acknowledging the challenge and the different positions about it. And, uh, but my response to him was, uh, you know, I... I believe what God says, and God says pretty clearly in the Bible what we should believe about that. And uh, he didn't particularly like that or want to hear it. All right, so, and he asked me another question, to which I answered the same way. 
needless to say, he wasn't happy with me. In fact, he hardly talked to me for about a day after that, so I thought he was mad. And ultimately, he ended up saying to me, that's ridiculous, Chris. It's ridiculous. It doesn't make sense to me. Isn't love love? And isn't God the universe, the God of the universe, love? And so on and so on. And he asked me pointedly, why do you, why do you keep referring to the Bible? I want to know what you think. Why, why do you keep referring to the Bible? It's a good question. Or the time when the, one of the princes or leaders of my old medical practice, who is not a Christian, gave me the look. Just a couple weeks ago, we had a Zoom conference meeting and we had individually, many of us in the old, my old practice had individually made this investment. We were advised to invest in this thing, and it went sideways. And we had collectively invested, but we had invested as individuals. And so, you know, we were sad about that. And so we set up this Zoom meeting to meet and talk about, you know, the ethics uh, and the fiduciary responsibility of the people who put us in that investment. And so they're talking about it and going through the data, and they're going around the table to ask people's opinion. And, excuse me, it come, finally comes around to me. And uh, I said, um, I'm going to have to look something up in the Bible. I'm, I've been thinking about this, and I'm not sure on it. I'm going to have to look something up in the Bible and pray about it. And through the Zoom screen, I could see the, the guy in focus, one of the previous executors of our practice. He just put his head down shook his head like this, and just started belly laughing in front of the group, which I thought was fun. Um, <laughs> you know, and these experiences can make us sad, right? You know, perhaps, uh, I mean, and perhaps even for many of us, it can even make us angry, you know, if we're honest. And the contempt that we feel in our experiences at the hands of the world and loving the Lord and finding great delight in the counsel of his word lead us to longing for relief. I mean, I, I, I didn't enjoy any of that. Those people are my friends. Now, I want you to notice God's counsel here in this text, right? By what's written and what is not. For the response we're to emulate is not one of anger or one of violence or even one in the defense of God's word. You see, friends, the psalmist prays and petitions that God would rebuke those who wander from his commandments, not us. That God will defend his word in the church is to be our prayer. That God would draw his servants to meditate on and delight in the counsel of his will when we're persecuted for following it. For our source of courage and the longing for relief is the God of Scripture and his written revelation to us in the Bible. And it's to him that we're to petition to take away our scorn and contempt for being obedient to the word. Do you see? God doesn't need us to defend the Bible. And we don't need each other to push back against the scorn and contempt we receive from the world because we're in love with Jesus and his Bible. And of course, the question we should all be willing to ask ourselves in the midst of persecution in the world is, am I being scorned really here? Be open to, being, to receiving this. Am I being scorned here because I love Jesus and I love the Bible or because I'm just being a jerk? That's a fun question to ask yourself. But one we all should be willing to ask, right? When we engage our world with the Bible as truth, are we doing so humbly and lovingly 
treating our suffering and confused neighbors as we would want to be and hope to be treated if we're trying to walk a mile in their shoes? Or do we all too often defend, insist, raise our voices in our need for the last word? But the Lord, through the psalmist, tells us there's a better way, a better source of relief, a better means of giving us courage and the comfort that God provides. Verse 24, again, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors in my time of need. As if to say, Christian, go back to the wellspring in the middle of controversy. Go back to the one and only source of true comfort and true delight, the Word of God. You see, friends, our experiences as sojourners in the good old U.S. doesn't need to be one of constant, sympathetic nervous system overload or suspicion. And let me unpack that a little bit, right? We don't need to walk around in a fight or flight mode. You follow me? Where we have to pick up the sword and want to fight everybody off to defend the Bible and defend God or just disengage and evacuate yourself from the circumstances where you have the conversation. No. We neither need to fight nor exit the conversation and disengage. We can courageously engage our world with biblical truth, knowing that God will rebuke those who wander and those who deny. So we don't have to, you see. Oh, Christian, the psalmist says, that you would only ever and increasingly delight in the testimonies of Scripture and that trusting the God of the Bible and the truthfulness of His Word would be so deeply ingrained in your soul that your life would serve as a blessed witness to the dying and confused world. For according to the psalmist in our passage for today, the Word of God is our true counsel in a hostile world, and the truly blessed are those that desire and delight in it. Do you believe that? You believe it? Jesus did. For he trusted in the words of his Father completely and lived out his life as one of perfect obedience to God's law. How, how did Jesus behave when he was scorned and persecuted, even unto death on the cross? Well, we don't have to guess because the Bible tells us, right? What's it say? First Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 20. But if, if what Peter says, if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in the body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, Christian, you have been healed by Jesus' wounds. And you have the Spirit of Christ that lives in you and empowers your love for the Bible and your witness as a sojourner in a troubled world. We don't have to have the last word. We don't have to respond to scorn and persecution and anger. And we don't have to be afraid. At the end of the Bible, we find all the servants singing together, all the servants of the Lord and the servant who wrote Psalm 119, who puts his trust in the triune God of the Bible and his word will be there. As Revelation 15 tells us, starting in verse 3, and they sing the song of Moses, 
the servant of God and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And if you're a Christian, this is your song too. Be comforted, be courageous, contend, contend for Christ in the Bible without being contentious, as Alistair Begg would say, maybe. The Bible leads us to being blessed in our integrity, transformation, comfort and courage. The psalmist of Psalm 119 writes, desire it, delight in it. For this book, the Bible, is the very word of God for the people of God. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon podcast. Subscribe to our podcast. And for more information about our church, our values, mission, and ministries, visit npcdublin.org.